0: Thank you for joining us for Time in the Chapel. Each week we eagerly try to discover what God has been saying to us since time began and even further back than that. Sometimes it's right on the surface. Sometimes we have to dive a little bit deeper, but either way we do our best, lean not on our own understanding, in all our ways acknowledge Him and expect that He will direct our paths so grab your bible prepare your hearts and minds hit the pause button long enough to pray for the help of the holy spirit and then join me as we open up the treasures of god's word one of the things that makes the bible so compelling is the way in which great truths are communicated in fact I'm not sure how anyone could live the Christian ideal, the Christian life, without knowing their Bible, for the Bible says of itself, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. Now, that word in the original just means complete. That's how we'll read it. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's what Scripture is to be for us, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. Scripture is given by inspiration. It's given so it's helpful to us in our doctrine. It's helpful to correct ourselves. It's helpful to rebuke. It's helpful for instruction on how to be righteous, how to live the life God expects you to live, so that we can be, so that we, the men and women of God, can be complete, that we can achieve the goal that He gave us when He gave us life, because every one of us has a purpose. That's what Scripture is for, is to help us to live the complete life so that we can be ever vigilant in good works for Him. Not for salvation, but good works out of appreciation and assistance to God for the building up of the kingdom. That's what Scripture is for. That's why it's so important. Now, it's true that we have the Holy Spirit, and He guides us into all truth. But it is His intention to use Scripture as one of the means to do that, to guide us into all truth. I argue the most important means to do so. It is through His Word that God communicates the terms of His relationship with us. Now, John, are you saying that I can't be saved without knowing my Bible? No, not necessarily. As long as you know John 3.16, you can be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you'll notice that Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, did not say that Scripture led to salvation. That Scripture was salvation. Jesus is salvation. But Scripture is given to us by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly finished unto all good works. There's no mention of Scripture as being our salvation, because it's not. Jesus is salvation, but Scripture is given to us for the rest of our trip. You see, before you're saved, Scripture is nonsense. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody who's a a avowed atheist about God's work, About God's Word? I have. They find it nonsense. They will laugh at me when I try to tell them the things of God. They don't get it because they're not going to get it until you're saved you are not scripture will not make sense your parts here and there will but until you're saved that's when scripture really applies to your life that's how you move forward because all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction righteousness sounds like living your life doesn't it that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly finished unto all good works, so that you can be prepared to live your life. Scripture has been given to you as a saved person. God purposely preserved his word for us so that we can have the fullness of joy in communing with Him, and fully becoming what He's called us to be. Now, in doing so, Scripture lays down the conditions necessary for the ideal Christian life, both in obvious ways and in subtle ways. Today's topic represents the latter. Let's read from the Gospel of Mark. By the way, the story is also found in Luke and Matthew. Mark 5.1 and they came over unto the side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had been dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, Neither could any man tame him. That's fetters, not feathers. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much, that he would not send them out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. It's important that you understand this was a great herd. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea, there were about 2,000, and were choked in the sea. Now, as I said, the Bible teaches certain truths that we are to live by some of them obvious, and some of them subtle. We happen to have both here. Now, one of the ways that God has chosen to teach us is through stories. And I think that's important to understand. Just laying out facts all the time is not compatible with human imagination, with human intellect. Sometimes we need stories to learn. It's an essential part of teaching us the ways of God, and it is especially true of the Gospels. These stories, the stories that we find in the Bible, usually take either the form of a parable or an actual live story, as I call them. Now, I say it that way because parables are the account of a retelling of a story. And then there are stories such as this one that we just read a report of the event as it's going on. Now, by the way, most people assume that parables are fables of some sort that are told to simply make a point. Those types of stories exist in other religions, so theologians just assume, since Christianity is just another religion, that the Parables are just fables. They're made up stories. That's not true. I agree with Dr. J. Vernon McGee, who says that parables are most likely that are not most likely are actual events that occurred sometime in the past. They're not allegories like some holy bedtime story. I believe that the parables told by Jesus are actual true stories. Johnny, you telling me the story of Lazarus and the rich man is a true story? You know which one I'm talking about, right? Lazarus was the poor, feeble man that died. He was in the bosom of Abraham in paradise. And in hell was the rich man who ignored him throughout his life. You remember that parable? Yes, I believe that parable is true. I believe that that's a true story. I don't believe that Jesus told false stories. Why would he? Jesus has had access to every human story that has ever existed. Why would he need to make up a story? He doesn't. Back to Mark 5. Now, we have to realize that this story, the story that we're telling of the Gadarenes, is in the Bible to teach us something. Everything in the Bible is meant to teach us something. Remember, we read it at the beginning. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness, all of those things. That's what Scripture is written for, this story as well. And as usual, this story has more than one thing to teach us. Now, one of the things that we learn here, the first one we're going to talk about, is that this story tells us about the power and position of Jesus. So listen to me. Every creature, man or angels, and by the way, demons are simply fallen angels. All creatures, man or angel or anything else, animals, everything, is under Jesus' command. This story illustrates that to us. Every living creature that exists in this story is under the authority of Jesus, everyone, because that's the truth of Jesus. Everything is under his authority. This Legion, as they called themselves, this group of demons was fierce and frightening and completely uncontrollable through human means. And by the way, this teaches us a very valuable and position related lesson as well. Man, listen to me, this is the lesson that we learn. Mankind on its own is further down the hierarchy. We in ourselves are weaker than the forces of evil, and you had better realize that, or you will be one unhappy person, not only in this life, but most definitely in the next. You see, I I have said this to you repeatedly, and a lot lately. You were not created to be a singular being. You were not created to be without God. That's not how you were created. We were split in two, if you will. Our The majority of our resources were ripped from us when Adam sinned. We are not a complete creature. We are a feeble underpowered, under-resourced creature without God, and that's why we we are powerless in ourselves against the forces of evil. We are weaker than the forces of evil. We're told and shown here that truth. We're told that the one possessed, first of all, became possessed because he's weaker than the demon forces but we also see that those that tried to restrain this demoniac were unsuccessful they brought with them the human-made devices the fetters and fetters are just shackles it's another it's an old english term for shackles The human-made restraining devices, the devices that the human beings, without the power of God, those devices they brought against the forces of evil were of no help. They were not helpful. They had no power over the forces of evil. That's what we're told. The man-made restraints, the things that those Gadarenes tried to restrain this demoniac with were ineffective. Mankind, listen to me, is naturally powerless against the forces of evil in our current state, and that current state being separated from God. Now, I'm not trying to scare you. That's not—this whole story is not meant to scare anyone. It's actually meant to equip you, to make you realize that although you are powerless against the forces of evil in yourself, you can rule and conquer over the forces of evil through the power of God. Because the very moment, listen to me, the very moment those demons, those demons that were completely dominant over the human alone forces. But the moment they saw Jesus, they were immediately affected. They went from terrorizing bullies over a powerless enemy to frightened grovelers. Verse 6 of Mark 5 says, when he, being legion, saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. Now, the English word worship here translates the greek word proskunio proskunio is derived from another greek word that means at its basis it means to lick a master's hand like a dog that's the word that's being used here when he saw jesus afar off he ran and worshiped him these creatures acting as one entity within at least one person knew who Jesus was and subjected themselves immediately and completely to him. It's not just out of respect. They didn't just go worship Jesus out of respect. They worshiped Jesus out of a full knowledge of knowing who's in charge. Jesus was in charge, and they subjected themselves immediately and completely to him. Again, this part of the story demonstrates the hierarchy of the true kingdom. We see here that at the very top is none other than Jesus. He is the king, and we see it here in this story. Now, The fascinating part of that is that Jesus is the kind of king that doesn't need to go around reminding you that he's the king. That if you were fully in tune with your spiritual side, you would not need to be convinced of that. Those demons did not ask Jesus for an ID those demons did not ask jesus for his resume they knew who was in charge and they ran and they worshiped him at the top is jesus the king now by the way as wonderful and glorious as that is that is not what i wanted to talk about today because there's so much more to the story you see this story isn't just about demons and demon-possessed maniacs. It's about you and I. One of the things that we teach with regularity around here is prayer. Now, if you asked 10 people what prayer is, they would most likely tell you, well, prayer is the way you get God to do things for you. And unfortunately, they learn that in church. You see, in our modern world, again, something I've been telling you with regularity lately, God is only seen as a glorified ATM. God is only seen in our modern churches as someone to use. Use God and His promises to make ourselves comfortable. Now, all those, although those accused of it deny it, there's a relatively large number of churches who preach what's now termed prosperity theology or the prosperity gospel, which states that all you have to do is ask God to make you rich and he will force himself to make you rich that there is something about God that you have power over, that you just find that promise in His Word and throw it in His face. And He is compelled to help you. That you want to be rich? Then God has to make me rich. Now, it's true that God is true to His Word. It's true that God is eager to help. If money is your problem, God wants to help. If loneliness is your problem, God wants to help. If demon possession or oppression is your problem, then God wants to help. These Gadarenes had a problem. At least one. They sensed that they had a real problem on their hands. And they did. They were being oppressed by demons. They needed help. In the story, the story especially in Mark, this oppression came in the form of a possessed man. Now, before we go and the reason why I put it that way, before we go on any further, you see Mark and Luke says there was a man who was possessed, and Matthew says that there were two men who were living among the tombs as poor demon-possessed souls. Let me address that. Because that sort of thing is why so many doubters feel they can criticize Scripture. This is, according to them, just another example of the inconsistencies of the Bible. But, as I usually do, let me ask you. Think about it. Is it really a contradiction or simply an example of a storyteller choosing which details to share? You have to decide that. You have to decide, is this an inconsistency in the Bible which then limits its authority in your life? Or is it just a decision on a storyteller to share details that that storyteller felt were necessary to share because just because mark and luke share with a sto- share with us a story of a man who has a condition doesn't mean there weren't two with the same condition let me illustrate autumn is coming up here in the northeastern united states today is starting to feel a little bit more like autumn and say you and I are down in Miami because you're a Floridian. And I say to you, oh, autumn is coming to the northeastern United States. I love it in autumn. And then I start to tell you about this beautiful maple tree in my backyard. I, you've never heard anything like this before because you're from Florida. They don't have these sorts of things. I start to describe that in just a few weeks, there'll be all these bright and beautiful reds and yellows on this maple tree in my yard. And then I go on and I tell you that in about two months, the leaves are going to start gently falling. And I paint this picture of the natural and peaceful beauty of this one maple tree in my backyard. We finish our coffee. I shake your hand. I head to the airport and I return home. In your mind, you you can't get out of your imagination this beautiful tree and it makes you smile. Well, perhaps this scene is just too beautiful to miss and you decide to call me and say, is it okay if I come to visit you in in, in late October? In your mind, you can't wait to see that one colorful tree. Finally, you arrive at my home you look out back and you notice there's at least five more maple trees exactly the way I described the one. Now, would you consider me a liar because my story didn't include those other trees? Can you accuse me of withholding information? Can you accuse me of saying, well, you're just, you're not a very consistent storyteller because I told you about the one tree that catches my attention? I was focusing on one of the five. It's my favorite. Did it make my story inaccurate if I only told you about the one of five? Of course not. I chose to talk about the one that caught my attention. Just because Mark and Luke talked about one demoniac does not mean there was only one. They chose to focus the story on the one that ran to Jesus to worship him. It's my guess that that was probably the most troublesome the one they concentrated on was the most fierce and troublesome, and that's probably why they centered the story on him, because his actions of going to run and worship Jesus, and listen, this is just my take. This is just my take. I love God. I love God's Word. When I see what others call inconsistencies, I say, wait a minute, hang on a second. God's not inconsistent. God's not a liar. There must be another explanation. So these are the things I think of. I give God the benefit of the doubt. That makes sense? Okay, so with that aside, let's continue. By the way, I bring these things up because I'm not afraid of the naysayers. I'm not afraid of them. There's Not a story that's told. There's not a history book that you can bring up. There's nothing written that you can't find some fault with if you're looking for it. Those that don't love God's Word are going to find fault with it. Those that don't want to live by the way that God laid down in Scripture are going to find fault with it. So that doesn't bother me. I don't get into arguments about God's Word. It's not necessary. Yes, in this ministry, we've taught on the truth and accuracy and reliability of God's Word only because I want you to feel encouraged. I give God's word the benefit of the doubt, but I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid that there are people out there are going to say, well, hang on, John, before you finish that story, you better say that there's some inconsistencies about the number of demoniacs. I'm beating you to the punch. I'm not trying to avoid it. I know there's that apparent inconsistency, what you may call an inconsistency. I'm not afraid of it. I will address it. Before that little side trip, I made the observation that those Gadarenes had a real problem on their hands. These demons were constantly menacing them, and the demons created a dangerous situation for the residents around the region. We are told that no man would go near them. That creates a problem. They had a problem on their hands. The Gadarenes needed a rescuer. And as this story tells us, and we've already pointed out, no human means could contain this problem. And I'm repeating myself because this is a vital piece of the story. They tried everything in their power and failed. They had a problem in their life and they tried everything in their own power and failed. Now, I suspect that that rings true to some of you. I suspect that this sounds familiar to most of you. No, of course, probably not the demon possession part, although that's not impossible. Your, ish, your issue may be demon possession or oppression, but this story isn't just for demoniacs. Oh, I'm not possessed, so I'm just going to lay back here and do my nails. That's not what the story is for. This is a story that can apply to all of life's oppressions. We all struggle From time to time, it's a part of our condition, our condition of separation from God. Jesus has not taken full control of this world yet. It will happen. He is the de facto ruler. But at the moment, someone else is in charge of moving things around. That someone else is Satan. That was going to be our job, by the way. Human beings were to take control of this earth and all the life on it. That would have been our job, but Adam gave that up. When Adam gave that up, for some reason, God gave the power to Satan, and we've been struggling against him ever since because we and Satan are enemies. Even if you worship Satan, let me tell you, you're still his enemy. Because while there's breath in your lungs, the possibility of you moving over to Jesus's camp is still possible. So even if you worship the devil, you are his enemies. That's the lie he has not told you yet. He has not told you that you're still his enemy. But you don't have to be a devil worshiper to have obstacles in your life. We all do. We all encounter problems on our road through life. And there are times that when no matter what we try to do to rid ourselves of our problems, our own efforts and resources fall short. For the Gadarenes, they could do nothing to contain their demoniac the chains and fetters that they fashioned and installed failed no listen to me no man-made tool or scheme or device was effective in cleansing them of their problem do you see why we do this do you understand why we take a little extra time on god's word We want you to relate. God wants you to relate. This was a problem that no mere mortal could overcome. It just so happens to be a story about demon possession, but it could be just as likely to be drug addiction, failed marriage, financial distress, or just some gripping mental or spiritual depression. Let's read it again. A man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been so often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones." They had a problem that they simply could not solve. Again, I say can't we all relate? Haven't we all faced something that threatened to overwhelm us? Something that just didn't seem resolvable. There was no way out. We get to a point when it appears that all is lost. We end up coming to the conclusion that our only course of action is just to give in to our circumstances. That's what happened to the Gadarenes. They figured there's nothing we can do. Let's just avoid it. Let's change our lives to suit our problems. I'm always depressed. I don't want to get out of bed. So I don't. I can't kick this drug. It's beaten me. So I stop trying. I lose my family. I lose my home. I've given in. I walk around my problem and accept it as it is. The time arrives where it looks as if there's no way out and we just simply must accept our misery as permanent. Look at verse 5 again. And always, night and day, the original is continually and continually night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones the gadarenes had decided that this was just something they were going to have to live with they had given in to despair and resolved themselves to a life of fear continually can i ask it again doesn't that sound familiar but then the next verse arrives. But when he saw Jesus afar off, Jesus arrives on the scene. Now, it doesn't always get to this point. Jesus doesn't always wait until all hope is seemingly lost, but sometimes he does. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this part because this isn't really the point of the lesson. But to be honest... What Jesus does is not a surprise. It it doesn't make it any less incredible, but we've now gotten to the point, most of us anyhow, where we realize that there really is no power on earth that can stand against him. Catherine and I have been through many a rough spot in our lives, and each time God has rescued us, we expect it out of him. It's what he does, and it no longer surprises us. When our miracles come, they're treated as old friends rather than first-time acquaintances. No, we don't presume on God. Of course not. We count on God. As we already read, Jesus takes control of the situation and rids the men of their demons. Remember, there were probably two who were possessed. Now this is this is really one of the most intriguing stories in the Bible. Listen to me as I point this out. By request Jesus sends the demons into a herd of swine. By request. You see Jesus is a gentleman. He complies with the request of the demons to be sent into a herd of pigs. I find that almost, it's a chuckle to me. Now, what happens next is fascinating. And I believe it's overlooked too often, despite being the fact that this is the pivotal point of the story. Listen to me. I've been pointing out throughout this lesson that these pigs weren't just some roaming pack of wild boar. The Bible makes clear that this was a domesticated herd. That's exactly what the Bible says. It's a herd of domesticated pigs. Now, you may be asking, well, why is that? Important. Why is that the pivotal point of the story? These people that were pig farmers were descendants of the tribe of Gad. That's why they're called the Gadarenes. The tribe of Gad was one of the twelve tribes of Israel. These were Jewish pig farmers. As you know, in God's law, pigs are forbidden. And yet these Gadarenes had more than 2,000 of them. It was their living. It was what they did to get along and probably to get rich. These were people that were out of step with God. They had turned their back on God. Now, the first thing that should come to mind is the word grace and not judgment. Jesus did not deny His help to these sinners when He encountered their problem. Jesus will do that, but He didn't hear. The Bible makes clear, if you cling to your sin, God will not hear your prayer. But here Jesus did not do that. Jesus saw beyond their sin, and He saw their need. But this is the really interesting part, and I pray that God will help me to communicate it properly. Remember just a moment ago, I told you that it was fascinating that Jesus simply complied with the request of the demons to be sent into the pigs. Well, I can almost see the kind of wry smile sort of emerge on Jesus' face as that request was being made. Because I believe that this was the intention of Jesus all along. Listen, those demons were right in what they said. Listen to what they say when Jesus arrived, as reported in Matthew's version of the story. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? They knew who he was. Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? It's true their time had not yet come jesus will i've told you this already jesus will take control complete control of this earth and when he does those demons the demons the fallen angels those that serve satan the angels that fell with satan with lucifer will be sent off they will be sent into a bit to an abyss But the time had not yet come. Those demons thought maybe Jesus had come to do that because they don't know either. They don't know when that time's coming. We don't either. The time still hasn't come. But they were right. Hey, we don't know when it is, but it's not this time. They were right. You see, that wasn't going to stop Jesus for making things right. Just because it wasn't the time didn't mean that Jesus wasn't going to correct the problem. Because, believe it or not, the real problem of the Gadarenes were those pigs. The demons were bad enough, but the pigs were their real problem. Of course, the Gadarenes didn't see it that way but the Almighty did. Listen to me. When Jesus comes into your life, He's not only going to solve the problem you see, but He's going to solve the problem He sees. You and I are not capable of cleaning house. Let's just put it that way. Just like those Gadarenes we are not equipped to make all the changes that are necessary in our lives. Those Gadarenes may have thought their problem was just the demons, but there is a lot more to it than that. You may think your problem is financial or health-related or some other pressing issue, but chances are there's more to it that you don't see. When Jesus comes, he will make all the necessary adjustments. And you know what? That's the painful part. Well, Listen, God, all I need is for you to pay that bill, and then I'm going to get out of your hair. You won't hear from me again, of course, until the next problem I have. Anyhow, no need for anything else, thank you. That That bill will be fine. Just take care of that, and that's all I need. Well, that isn't how this works. You may have been told that in church, but that's not the way it works. Those Gadarenes literally got more than they bargained for. Not only did Jesus get rid of their demon problem, he got rid of their pig problem. This is a warning to you. Jesus will not come and do a half job ever. Either you'll get all of Jesus or none of him. Leslie Hale likes to say, Jesus doesn't just want to be resident, he wants to be president. Well, those pig farmers didn't like it. Chances are you won't either. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart depart out of their coasts. You see, if Jesus would have just come and gotten rid of the demons and minded his business, they would not have asked him to depart out of the coast. They would have probably thrown him a party and chances are there'd be bacon there. but that's not what he did. When Jesus came into their lives, he solved all of their problems. The one they perceived and the one they didn't. Be careful when you ask Jesus to come into your life because he's going to make all the changes that are necessary. when we invite Jesus into our lives and we ask him to be president, he's going to make all the changes. And if you're strong enough to see that through, you're going to see that you never needed those pigs. And you're going to see that those pigs held you back. And you're going to see that maybe those pigs led to your weakness in the other parts of your life. When you separate yourself from God and what He wants for you, you're weak. He isn't in there strengthening you. Remember, I'm going to say it again. You weren't created to be without Him. You weren't given the resources necessary to battle all of the problems you'll face in this life. You just weren't without him. And they began to pray him to, to depart out of their coast. Now, at first glance, this sort of seems like an odd reaction. The only time that I know of in the Gospels when the recipient Recipients of a miracle of Jesus resented him for it. You see, these people didn't expect it. They weren't prepared for it. This miracle came at a cost. Jesus came into this community and performed a miracle, but it cost them. Sure, they lost their demons, but they lost their pigs too. You have to be careful of what you wish for. if you never listen to one more thing I tell you, listen to this. God doesn't work for you. You work for Him. Now, He's a loving, caring boss, but rest assured, He's the boss. I know this isn't a popular message, but I want to make sure That you don't ask Jesus to leave your life after he's he's given you an answer to a prayer. Everything Jesus does, he does for the Father. Now, you may derive the benefit, but what he does in your life is not for you. It's for the Father. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. John 4, 34. Luke 2.49, Wist ye not that I must be about my Father's business? Luke 22.42, Not my will, but thine be done. That's, Jesus said that when he was fully aware that he was about to endure a grisly death on the cross. And listen, he was right. He said he did what he was sent to do. He fulfilled the law. He could have left right there and not head to the cross. Remember, Jesus came to live the perfect life and the perfect death. He, was, he came to lay that perfect life down for all of us. And to that point, He had completed the first task. He could have walked away. He could have walked away. That alone is enough to praise him he could have and didn't because that was not the full total fulfillment of the father's will when jesus came into the lives of the gadarenes the tribe of gad those jewish pig farmers he wasn't going to come and do a half job he was going to do the complete will of god god did not will that those demons oppress those people God also did not will that they be pig farmers you cannot pick and choose what God's going to do in your life because he doesn't work for you you work for him if you want the services of God then you have to pay the price And that is a life that he can use. He will not remove the obstacles from your life for your sake. If you expect that, you will be frustrated forever. Those pig farmers willed Jesus to get rid of their demons, and God willed that Jesus get rid of the pigs. Jesus did God's will, and those Gadarenes didn't like it. When we pray, we want God to do it our way, and when He decides to do it the right way, which is usually not our way, we get upset. Hey, this is my life, God. You should be doing the things the way I want them done. When you're constantly preached to that God is to be used, that you're to use God for your prosperity and your comfort and your happiness, you're always going to be disappointed. That's the lie they don't tell you in the prosperity gospel. You may get all of the riches that they say you're going to get, but you're not going to be happy because there's still a part of your life that's out of step with God. Hey, God, those pigs were ours. I never told you to mess with the pigs. Listen, doing strictly what you want is a waste of God's time. God never wastes time, which is funny because he's not subject to it. We are. God is efficient and his timing is perfect, though it doesn't feel like it. And if you expect him to enter your situation, then you better be prepared to do it his way. There is no debate. Jesus didn't ask the Gadarenes for their permission to send the demons into the pigs. He didn't need it. Remember in the beginning, I said he's king of it all. He was king of every living creature in that story and everything else on earth. You know, some people actually criticize Jesus when they read that story and say, what right did he have to destroy those people's pigs? That just shows that Jesus was unjust. That's the truth. When people criticize this story, that's what they say. That Jesus had no right to destroy those pigs. Can you believe that? He did what he did because he had the power, and it was God's will. Well, how do I know God willed that? Well, we covered that. Jesus said that his meat, his food, his desire was to do the will of the Father. He was on the Father's business. Therefore, everything he did was for the Father. And because of that, the Father willed the removal of those pigs. And I repeat, the Gadarenes didn't like it. And because of that, they asked Jesus to leave. That scares me. Because we do the same thing. Now, we may not be as bold as the Gadarenes, but we live our lives as if we didn't have room for Jesus in it. We turn our backs on the things of God. We pursue the wisdom and comfort and approval of this world, and we shun the things of heaven because the things of heaven don't do what we want them to do. And you know what? Once again, I tell you, Jesus is a gentleman. If you want him to, he's going to leave you alone. Jesus will not stay in your life if you don't want him there. If you ask him to leave, you're not going to need some new supernatural power to rid yourself of him. You just have to ask. Now, the the devil, on the other hand, is different. The agents of the devil, the demons, they won't listen to what you want. Once they have a grip on you, they're going to stay. But that's not Jesus' style. He didn't force himself in on you, and he's not going to force himself to stay. He'll only stay as long as he's welcome. If you want him to leave he's gonna leave but you want to know what the beautiful part of this is he never leaves you without a witness Jesus will always leave a witness let's read verses 18 and 19 this time out of the NIV as Jesus was getting into the boat The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus was not giving up on those Gadarenes. Yes, they asked him to leave. But he wasn't giving up on them. They wanted Jesus to get out of his life. You and I probably would too. You and I would have resented God for coming in our lives and messing it up. I didn't ask you to get rid of the pigs. Thank God. God is God. Thank God for His grace. Even though you and I don't deserve it, even though we may have turned our back on Him, He won't turn His back on us. Jesus will leave a witness because He will not give up on us. He wants His testimony to stay near at hand. When those Gadarenes saw that man who was once demon-possessed, they'll never forget that there was a man who came and did something miraculous. There once was a man who did something we could never do. That demon-possessed man was a constant witness. They didn't deserve that witness, but Jesus made sure they had it for their sake. That's grace. That's grace. You can never say, I just don't deserve God's love. And give up on him. Deserve has nothing to do with it. Those Gadarenes did not deserve witness. But Jesus gave them one. He arranged for a witness. He left that cured man as a witness to his power and position, and more importantly, as a witness to the utter helplessness of the Gadarenes. You see, when trouble returns, and it will return, they will have a witness to guide them unto all truth. You know, the name of Jesus is actually a Hebrew contraction of Jehovah Ashua. Jehovah Ashua means the Lord that helps. The very nature of Jesus is in his name, the very mission of Jesus is in his name. You know, in heaven, his name wasn't Jesus before he came down, it's his, it is now. It is a reflection of his mission. It's a reflection of why he came down. Jehovah-Ashua, the Lord that helps, is his identity. He's here to help. Scripture tells us that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Intercession meaning prayer. Jesus is in constant prayer with God on your behalf he wants to do that for us. But listen, and listen very carefully. Jesus will only do the job the right way, and the right way is God's way. You see, as I said before, there's really no sense in coming into your life and only doing half a job. God is efficient and effective. When when God comes into your life, He comes to help. And if He's just going to do what you want, that doesn't help anyone. The only way He can help is to take control. We all have our pigs, and we all need to be rid of them. Without, listen to me, Without cleaning house completely, we will never be completely whole. We mustn't stand in the way of Jesus' plan for our lives. Listen, who knows how long Jesus would have stayed with those Gadarenes had they not asked him to leave? Who knows what happiness and prosperity those people would have encountered if they just would not have asked Jesus to leave? If they had not turned their back on him. He obviously had plans for him. He left them a witness. He wanted to do more for them. John Calvin said that human beings have no free will. I disagree. I believe the story of the Gadarenes tells us we do. I believe the story of the Gadarenes tells us that we can actually make a choice to ask Jesus to leave our lives. Don't do that. But if you do, don't despair because he's left you a witness as well. And in case you haven't picked up on it, that's the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is your witness to the power and position of Jesus. And he's always available to you when you're ready to make the complete change. I urge you, I urge you to let him take over. Let Jesus stay, and your joy will be eternal. You've been listening to Time in the Chapel, a weekly program dedicated to bringing you in-depth biblical study. Join us again next time as we search scripture to learn more about God in your life and you in his plan. Time in the Chapel is a service of Chapel Ministries. Chapel Ministries is a non-denominational ministry with a mission to feed hungry souls. Please consider supporting this program financially. For more information, please visit our website at www.timeinthechapel.com or email us at info at timeinthechapel.com. Be sure to look for us on Facebook by searching for Chapel Ministries. Click follow to get all of the latest information.